Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Some breaking news overnight. Israel approves a deal negotiated for a temporary pause in fighting for the release of 50 or more hostages. We have more on what the agreement entails. Israel's military reacts and issues words of caution based on past experience with terrorists and hear what anxious family members are going through while waiting for their loved one's safe return. Yet another university faces hate speech allegations and reports of a terror alert raise fears of a possible attack in New York. The CEO of one of the world's largest cryptocurrency companies is under fire as he pleads guilty with massive penalties attached. We dive into the details with the host of NTD Business. OpenAI is reshuffling its leadership again. Sam Altman is set to regain his old position after losing it days before. Good news for Turkey Day, the feast is big, but the price tag is smaller. A supermarket owner tells us more about keeping our tummies and wallets full this Thanksgiving. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd. And we're starting with a big update on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's government early this morning approved a deal with the Hamas terrorist group. It would have 50 of the roughly 240 hostages held by Hamas released back to Israel into their families' arms. The first hostages are expected to be released as soon as tomorrow, according to the Israeli government. President Biden issued a statement saying that, quote, today's deal should bring home additional American hostages and I will not stop until they are all released. The deal laid out by Qatar would bring a four-day pause to the fighting in the Gaza Strip. It's believed the 50 hostages to be released will be women and children. Three Americans are expected to be among them, including three-year-old Abigail Eden, whose parents were killed in the October 7th terrorist attack. Hamas has agreed to release the hostages over the four-day pause. Israel stated it would extend its break in fighting by an extra day for every 10 additional hostages released after that. Israel will need to release 150 jailed Palestinians and allow fuel and more aid into Gaza under the deal. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the war to destroy Hamas will continue when the pause ends. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the hostages' release and what comes next. Nearly seven weeks after being kidnapped from Israel, groups of hostages being held by Hamas terrorists could be going home. Israel says more than half hold foreign and dual citizenship from some 40 countries. They are expected to come in groups of a dozen or more people over the four-day pause. The deal mediated by Qatar, Egypt and the U.S. follows weeks of on-and-off negotiations. Qatar stated Wednesday the pause would be subject to extension and that the start of it would be announced within 24 hours. The deal requires Israel to allow hundreds of trucks of humanitarian, medical and fuel aid to enter Gaza. Israel will also need to free 150 jailed Palestinians and put out a list of prisoners from which they will be selected. The 300 security prisoners on the list are nearly all males under 18, arrested in the West Bank during counter-terror operations. None have been convicted of murder. 13 are women, with the rest to remain as potential exchanges for more Israeli hostages. 
Israeli citizens have a 24-hour window to ask the Supreme Court to block the Palestinian prisoners' release before the deal can be implemented. Israel's military says Hamas is holding roughly 240 hostages captive, including foreign nationals from 26 countries. The kidnappings took place on October 7th, when terrorists killed around 1,200 people. To date, only four captives have been released. Family members of those taken say more will bring hope. It helps give those of us who won't see their loved ones back the, you know, the, the ability to keep going for, for as long as we need to until we see them all back. That this deal will follow through and that these hostages, these children will be back home with their families in the next couple days. We keep our hope for 46 days. We won't give up now. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu assured his war cabinet that Israel's mission to destroy Hamas and return all the hostages remains the same. The Hamas terror organization stated on the striking of the agreement that its fingers are on the trigger. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. For some insights into the hostage deal that's been reached between Israel and Hamas, we're bringing in live on the show Rabbi Abraham Cooper. He's the Associate Dean at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. He's also the Chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Rabbi Cooper, thank you for making the time to discuss this important topic. What will Hamas terrorists do during the four-day truce, do you expect? Well, they're going to try to regroup in uh, the southern part of uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, they for sure will have some or try to have some military surprises, probably more missile launches uh, when the time, uh, the four days are up. Plus, they are getting the release of uh, some uh, prisoners from Israeli jails. It's a huge PR victory for them. Uh, and, um, you know, they've been on the run. That gives them uh, 48, uh, four days in order to... Uh, strengthening their defenses. Remember, they still have a good part of their underground city that runs hundreds of miles of tunnels intact in, uh, in southern Gaza. And I think that's one of the reasons why you heard Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu say that when this is up, the uh, original commitment to deal with them militarily and get rid of Hamas is still in the cards. We'll have to see if that's actually going to be the, uh, the reality. Certainly, this can complicate Israel's campaign to eradicate Hamas. And of course, this is a very good deal for the families of those who have hostages in, in Hamas captivity. But is this deal to have hostages released in exchange for a truce a good idea for Israel in the long term? I don't think that uh, the people of Israel are under any illusions here. It's a, it's a terrible deal, but we're dealing with uh, women and children, including some uh, some babies, some three-year-olds. It's kind of difficult for anyone who lives in a civilized society to actually think about it. I just saw that one of the rules that they're telling Israeli soldiers to first take the three and four and seven-year-old kids, not to answer the following question, where's my mom? Where's my dad? Many of these kids' parents were murdered by on a, on the October 7th, by the Hamas terrorists, they have no idea, they're too young, or they have no idea what has really happened. So this is a, a very somber time for Israelis. Uh, for example, in the list that I saw late last night, I happened to be here in Jerusalem, I don't know if it's an official list or not, but uh, there were still, even with those children released, eight fathers, 
and at least one other number of mothers not released in this initial uh, release. So it, it's a it's a tough deal. It's necessary. We're all part of the, the Judeo-Christian value system that, that loves our children, and really they have Israel in a difficult position. So they're doing what they have to. Hopefully, when this is over, the hostage families and those who are left from those families will be able to put their shattered values back. This certainly is a big breakthrough in negotiations, but do you suspect that the concept of this truce was one of the reasons why Hamas terrorists took hostages in the first place, to use it as a bargaining chip? Well, would it be the first time in which uh, Palestinian terrorists who kidnapped soldiers or people who wandered near the border, yeah, they, uh, even to this day, are hating the bodies of Israeli soldiers who were killed seven years ago. So for them, these are not me. For them, it's just a bargaining chip, uh, and they will squeeze uh, their enemy in order to get released individuals who can help kill more innocents. It's a very, very terrible situation. When you have these many civilians taking the sides of Israeli soldiers, uh, Israel doesn't have much of a choice. And the real impeaching for people of Israel would be that they, after uh, these exchanges ahead, will Israel still be in a position to eliminate Hamas? They'll have a back. Well, thank you so much for shedding light on this important development. Rabbi Abraham Cooper, the Associate Dean at the Simon Wiesenthal Center and the Chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Israel's military says it will continue fighting Hamas until the Israeli government tells them to pause. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conriquez says the army will respect the deal to return hostages, but weighed in with some words of caution. Watch. We will be very vigilant on the ground because we have uh, bad experiences with Hamas from 2014 when they violated an uh, internationally brokered ceasefire. So we know that we will have to be vigilant on the ground as we see this unfold. Hopefully, we will see the safe return of Israeli hostages from 46 days of captivity at the hands of Hamas. The hostage release deal between Israel and Hamas has brought hope to many, especially one grandfather who is waiting for the return of seven family members. Here's his story. Gilad Korngold has seven family members who are believed to be hostages. They include his son, his grandchildren ages three and eight, and a niece who is 12. Nobody can imagine how we feel, okay? Imagine that you, your kid, instead sleep in the bed with blanket and it, it's underground, deep, it's deep tunnels, uh, three years old, uh, my girl, uh, my girl, uh, grand, granddaughter, She's loved to jump all the time, trampoline and, 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 and the couch, and she's very happy. The situation has deeply affected him, and he's having difficulty coping with it. Uh, sleep, I need to take uh, sleeping pills, strong one, so at least four or five hours I sleep. If not, I can handle it. The fate of his family is currently unknown. He doesn't even know if they are alive. We need to know if they're alive, if they're okay. It's the minimum. The minimum, this is a war crime. There are civilians. Uh, we, we, we ask release, release 
the children and the women at once, okay? It's impossible to bargain with children, okay? No food, no gasoline, no solar, nothing, okay? Children and women must be released immediately. The new hostage release deal between Israel and Hamas brings Mr. Korngold both hope and concern. Is his entire family safe and will they all be released? Those questions remain unanswered, so all he can do is wait and hope for the best possible outcome. The United States has retaliated against an Iranian-backed terrorist group in Iraq. U.S. officials say two sites were struck this morning local time. It's the first retaliation after dozens of attacks against U.S. troops in the area. The U.S. was previously reluctant to return any fire due to the sensitive political situation in Iraq. Around five dozen attacks against U.S. troops have been counted by the Pentagon so far since mid-October. The Iraq attacks were carried out by Iraq's Qatayib Hezbollah terrorist group, which is heavily armed and has close ties with Iran. An unnamed U.S. defense official told Reuters the fighter jet strikes destroyed an operations center and a command and control node. The official said there were Hezbollah terrorists at the sites south of Baghdad. No exact figures on casualties are yet available. And after the break, a new subpoena in the Hunter Biden criminal case. Find out who House Republicans want to put in the hot seat and why. And a Trump co-defendant is not heading back to jail. He was accused of making threatening posts on social media. Arlene Richards will bring us the story and why his defense held up. And why are some Texas judges asking President Biden to stop a new border bill before it even takes effect? We have the answer to that coming up. New J6 police footage has caught the attention of House investigators. They're likely to ask why a plainclothes D.C. officer says we go undercover as Antifa on camera. Stay tuned for that. Welcome back. A new subpoena in the Hunter Biden case. The House Judiciary Committee wants to hear testimony from Assistant U.S. Attorney Leslie Wolf. Committee Chair Jim Jordan initially requested testimony from Wolf in June. The Department of Justice has made six high-level officials available to testify, but not Wolf. Jordan called the DOJ's reasons for withholding Wolf's testimony unpersuasive. IRS whistleblowers believe Wolf broke protocol on several occasions. They accuse her of blocking their efforts to get subpoenas and search warrants. Special counsel David Weiss defended Wolf, calling her a dedicated public servant and a person of integrity. Republicans have set December 7th as Wolf's deposition date. And new January 6th police footage making the rounds on social media now has the attention of Congress. The video shows an undercover D.C. police officer talking to uniformed colleagues saying, we go undercover as Antifa. He can be seen wearing a badge around his neck as he offers water to other officers, shaking off the effects of tear gas. The clip was recently submitted to Congress as part of a probe into the official January 6th police response. Just the news verified the footage filmed behind police lines on Capitol grounds. It's unclear if the undercover officer is referring to prior assignments or the crowd at the Capitol. 
House investigators are likely to ask him. And turning now to former President Trump's legal battles, in Colorado, the group seeking to remove former President Trump from the state's primary ballot is filing an appeal. This after a district court judge refused to disqualify Trump from running for another term. Meanwhile, Trump's own legal team has filed a separate appeal asking the court to reconsider parts of its ruling. That includes the decision that found Trump had incited the January 6th Capitol breach in 2021. Other parts of the appeal raise the question of whether a district court even has the authority to determine a candidate's qualifications for the ballot. The former president is currently facing 91 criminal charges. He has pleaded not guilty to all of them. One of the Trump co-defendants in the sprawling Georgia RICO case doesn't have to go back to jail despite his social media posts. Our legal correspondent Arlene Richards reports. A Trump co-defendant won't face jail time. Harrison Floyd was the only one of 19 co-defendants to spend five nights in jail before posting bond. On Tuesday, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis asked the judge to send him back. The state contends that Mr. Floyd, the defendant that is here before the court today, violated three of the seven conditions of that bond. Floyd, the former head of Black Voices for Trump, is one of three co-defendants who allegedly pressured election worker Ruby Freeman to admit to election fraud. One of the conditions of the bond order was that Floyd perform no act to intimidate any person known to him to be a co-defendant or witness in this case. Fulton County investigator Michael Hill read one of Floyd's social media posts about the election worker Freeman. This is a cover-up, all caps, and Fulton County is corrupt, all caps, with an exclamation point. Um, it is once again that same image of Ms. Ruby Freeman at her home via a Cobb County police uh, body cam. And underneath the image, uh, it says, so this begs the question, if Ruby Freeman didn't trust white people to help her, what did she say to the black people that offered to help her? I'll wait for you to get your popcorn. Willis then asked Hill to read a comment in response to Floyd's post. There is a comment. It comes from um, underneath this post. And the comment uh, comes from at full Ford Leonard. And the uh, statement is bury this under the jail. On cross-examination, Hill could not confirm that Floyd's posts were directly sent to people he tagged, whether he had contact with the people who commented to his posts, nor why Floyd made some of his own posts. The defense asked Hill to read another of Floyd's posts with a comment. So the comment under Mr. or Defendant Floyd's post, Black American Dems want the Black Trump guy to tell me, to tell on the racist white Republicans, but only if it's President Trump, LOL. Uh, look, the truth is that at Georgia Secretary of State and at Gabriel Sterling are the pieces of uh, fecal emoji uh, you should be mad at. Uh, make elections fair again, hashtag fraud, hashtag Fulton. And then there's a comment from Brooklyn, uh, Fl Brooklyn Flowers that states, you're in all caps broke and going to waste more money putting forth this e all caps election lie. Uh, we, want, we can't wait to all caps lock you up here in Georgia as if those five days you spent in Fulton jail wasn't enough. The defense then asked this. 
Are you aware that this is actually what Mr. Floyd is responding to is a comment? That's not a comment that's in response to his post. That's making him, that's him posting a response to this message he received. Were you aware of that? No, I'm not aware of that. Willis also called top election official Gabriel Sterling and Freeman's attorney Von DuBose to the stand. They both testified that Floyd's posts were threatening. After hearing the testimonies, Judge Scott McAfee declined to revoke the bond, which means Floyd can remain free ahead of a future trial. He said that the bond terms need to be modified to reflect the nuances of social media. Arlene Richards, NTD News. The dates and locations for next year's three presidential debates have been announced. And we might see a third party candidate on stage for the first time in three decades. The first one is set for September 16th at Texas State University. The second one is on October 1st at Virginia State and the third on October 9th at the University of Utah. One vice presidential debate is scheduled for September 25th at Lafayette College in Pennsylvania. To qualify for the events, candidates and their running partners must have at least 15% in national polls. Third-party candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is averaging almost 17% at the moment. He'd be the first third-party candidate on stage since Ross Parrott in 1992. As for former President Trump, his campaign says he is looking forward to debating President Biden at the events. However, it's not clear whether Biden will join. His team reportedly declined to comment on the recently announced debates. Should the U.S. trust the Chinese Communist Party, President Biden casting doubt, and some Republicans say we shouldn't believe a single word from the regime. Entity's Iris Tao has more in a recent deal in which China agreed to stop the flow of deadly fentanyl from reaching the U.S. After announcing a deal with China to curb the flow of fentanyl, President Biden now sounding skeptical about whether the Chinese regime would actually follow through. Watch. So the United States is going to seek to work together with China to target the fentanyl components. We're not just going to trust that this is happening. We have to verify it. During the APEC summit in San Francisco last week, the White House announced that China had agreed to work with the U.S. to crack down on chemicals needed to make fentanyl, nearly all of which come from China. For more than a year, Chinese officials have been reluctant to cooperate with the U.S. to curb this flow. And now, despite this deal, Biden's director of drug policy, Rahul Gupta, is also casting doubt on Beijing's words by pointing to the fact that the last time China had agreed to crack down on fentanyl in 2019, it just started instead to ship the ingredients needed to make it to Mexico. Republican Senator Rick Scott saying directly in the statement that he does not trust a word that Xi Jinping says and neither should any American, including Joe Biden. Congressman Mike Gallagher also skeptical about last week's agreement. I'm skeptical of the fentanyl agreement, I have to confess, only because we've seen this movie before. But we tend to pay cash up front, but for the CCP, the check is always in the mail. Just last month, the Justice Department indicted eight Chinese companies in the fentanyl supply chain. The DOJ says they use a wide range of trafficking tactics, from encrypted messaging apps to fake shipping schemes and Bitcoin payments, all to ply and cover their trade, leading to the deaths of Americans. Back to you. Three Texas judges are asking President Biden to stop a new border bill in their state. SB4 was passed last week by the Texas legislature. 
It makes illegal entry into Texas a state crime and gives judges the power to remove violators to Mexico. The bill also allows local police to arrest violators. Democratic lawmakers have warned this could lead to racial profiling. In a letter to Biden posted on social media, executives from three Texas border counties cite concerns the measure is unconstitutional and could make communities less safe. They're urging Biden to stop the legislation from going into effect. Governor Greg Abbott has not yet signed the bill into law. Well, one question that's raised upon this topic is why would they propose this bill in the first place if the federal government were enforcing the law and actually prosecuting people who cross the border legally who may have criminal offenses and so forth? Oh, that's that's a very interesting question. Um, it, it's it, it's said that Abbott will likely sign it, of course, but um, you know, it's also I think one of the uh, issues here was also that um, local state law enforcement. Um, it's it's worry it's worrisome for the Democrats that um, the local state enforcement would be able to arrest people just solely based on suspicion. And um, well, like we just heard, right? Um, some think the bill is unconstitutional while um, the author of the bill says, of course, it's not. Yeah, it is interesting and in how it's tiered, actually. So if someone has a criminal history of attacking or harming another person, it can be raised from a misdemeanor to a felony charge. Mm. Well, we're and heading to break now. Yes, we're going to look at a new poll that says U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio is leading his Republican opponents. A reporter breaks down why he's popular and how the GOP is planning to unseat him. And a flash mob strikes again in Los Angeles, how it ended in thousands of dollars of merchandise stolen from a Nike store. Yet another university faces an investigation for hate speech allegations, and New York Governor Kathy Hochul outlines a plan to combat threats of violence. I'm Christina Corona in Los Angeles, and we are NTD News. Good to have you back. Utah Republican Celeste Malloy won a special election yesterday, becoming the newest member of Congress. The special election was held to replace Republican Chris Stewart, who vacated his seat to care for his ill wife. Malloy defeated a Democratic state senator and some third-party candidates to win her seat in Utah's 2nd District. Malloy was a former congressional aide for the man she replaced, Chris Stewart. She will join the state's three other Republican House members. The state's two senators are also Republican. Her election now returns the number of House representatives back to 435. And now to Ohio, where an Emerson College poll shows Democratic U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown beating his GOP rivals in 2024. Here with some updates on this is Jeff Lauderback, a reporter for the Epic Times. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Glad to be here. So what are some of the reasons Brown is so popular with voters? Well, Ohio is mostly a red state. Uh, Republican governor, Republican state legislature. J.D. Vance was elected senator back in 2022 to replace a fellow Republican, Rob Portman. Um, have some notes here on Sherrod Brown. He has been uh, in politics in Ohio as a Democrat since 1975. He's been a state representative, a secretary of state, a congressman, and he's been a, a U.S. senator since 2007. His appeal mainly, uh, Ohio 
Cleveland, Cincinnati, Columbus, Dayton, those are the urban areas that are mostly Democrat. Ohio has 88 counties, about 81 are very conservative, but six or seven, the remaining six or seven, the heavy population senators are Democrat and they support Sherrod Brown, mostly because he's a, he's a pro-union uh, Democrat and, you know, a traditional Democrat who, who says he's for the working class and pro-union and he supports President Biden. Yeah, a big proponent of the middle class. And, you know, he's somewhat of an America First candidate himself. Actually, his first vote in Congress was against NAFTA, trying to put American businesses and, you know, workers first. So what do you think of Brown's major accomplishments? What are the biggest ones? Well, it goes back to what I was saying before. He, he, he's somehow able to keep getting elected in Ohio, which is a mostly Republican state. And he usually does that by appealing to the population centers. Uh, again, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Dayton. You could throw in Toledo, Akron. Those are heavy manufacturing areas. Uh, uh, it used to be a big GM area and he appeals to union workers. And most of Ohio is conservative. Most of Ohio votes against Democrats and races like these, but those heavy population centers have enough population where someone like Sherrod Brown can get elected. And Sherrod Brown has a couple likely GOP rivals there, the Secretary of State being one of them, but what can you tell us about GOP challenger, challenger Bernie Moreno? Well, it's an interesting race. I covered the 2022 Ohio U.S. Senate race, and that was a very contentious Republican primary. There were uh, seven or eight main candidates. All of them were pro-Trump candidates, except Matt Dolan, who's a state senator. His family owns the now the Cleveland Guardians, which used to be the Cleveland Indians, which President Trump uh, took issue with uh, as part of cancel culture, changing from the Indians to the Guardians. So Matt Dolan is a outspoken uh, against uh, President Trump. Bernie Marino is a businessman up in Cleveland. He has appeal with conservatives. He's, he's a very likable, charismatic guy. He's from Columbia, the country Columbia. And um, he's a very strong opponent of uh, President Biden's border policy. He's a pro-Trump candidate. Uh, Frank LaRose, the Secretary of State, is the other candidate. He received Trump's endorsement in the Secretary of State race back in uh, 2022. Uh, I know that uh, Bernie Marino and Frank LaRose would love to have President Trump's endorsement. Matt Dolan has said he is not sure he would even support President Trump if uh, President Trump gets the nomination. Well, it's a great update from you, and this is certainly shaping up to be a competitive race with Republicans looking to work really hard to unseat Brown. So, Jeff Lauderback, reporter for the Epic Times, thank you. Thank you. Acting Labor Secretary Julie Su has been subpoenaed. A House panel made the move over a possible misuse of taxpayer funds. It's part of an investigation by the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. The subpoena followed multiple attempts to get answers to the committee's questions. Committee Chair Virginia Fox says the Workers' Voice Summit in September 2022 was political in nature and should not have received public funding. OSHA, OSHA organized the summit. The investigation aims to find out if legislative changes are needed. This would relate to preventing inappropriate, wasteful, or self-serving activities within OSHA and other Department of Labor offices. 
Sue was required to appear before the committee on December 6th. Universities under investigation for hate. The University of Tampa is now the seventh college facing an inquiry from the Education Department. Entity's Daniel Monahan has more on efforts to stem the rising tide of intolerance. The University of Tampa and Hillsborough County Schools are being investigated for alleged incidents of discrimination. The investigations announced Tuesday were launched by the Education Department's Office for Civil Rights. The Civil Rights Act obliges schools to provide all students with an environment free from discrimination. The list of such investigations is growing in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. The department also announced a second investigation into New York's Columbia University. Last week, the department launched investigations into six colleges, including Columbia, Cornell University, and the University of Pennsylvania, over alleged incidents of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. The agency says it is now conducting an unprecedented number of such hate investigations and adds that it doesn't have the investigative staff to match the influx of cases. The department's Office for Civil Rights has now opened a total of 27 Title VI investigations this year. Fifteen similar investigations were opened last year, and just two were opened in 2021. The University of Tampa said the investigation stems from an incident that occurred in September before the October 7th Hamas terror attack on Israel. CBS News reported it received a terrorist threat security alert. The bulletin says violent extremist threat actors will seek to carry out attacks in the West as a response to escalating civilian deaths in Gaza. New York was specifically mentioned as a likely focus. Protests and other public events listed as possible targets. In a Thanksgiving message, New York Governor Kathy Hochul encouraged parents to use the holidays to start meaningful conversations and take on what she called the destructive impacts of hate and explain the importance of tolerance. Don't just be a bystander. Be an upstander. And talk about engaging each other in a respectful, tolerant way. Hochul says there has been a 400% increase in online anti-Semitic and Islamophobic threats. And make no mistake, we've not stood idly by. My number one priority has been and will continue to be protecting the safety of our residents. The governor announced a four-point plan in response. Those include strengthening physical security, creating resources for parents and schools, pressuring social media companies for what she calls not creating a safe public square, and making the digital world safer. Critics fear that what Hochul calls making the digital world safer could result in curtailing free speech in the name of political correctness. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Los Angeles Police Department is looking for 17 people who were part of a recent flash mob. The group of juveniles stole around $12,000 worth of merchandise from a Watts Nike store Sunday in a quick raid caught on video. Footage posted on the Citizens app shows the thieves rushing through the store with blue bags, grabbing merchandise off shelves while shoppers watched. The people involved were described as four females and 13 males believed to be 15 to 20 years old. The suspects escaped in five getaway cars. Authorities are actively fighting retail crimes statewide, having recently arrested 137 suspects and recovered over $60,000 in merchandise. And coming up, OpenAI is shuffling its leadership positions again as they bring back CEO Sam Altman just days after firing him.
and one of the world's largest crypto companies faces heavy fines as the CEO pleads guilty. We speak with the host of NTD Business to give you the latest details in a moment. to have you back. As you can see, we have our NTD business host, Don Ma, with us now because the CEO of the world's largest cryptocurrency exchange has pleaded guilty to money laundering violations. The founder of Binance, Cheng Peng Zhao, pleaded guilty yesterday to federal charges in a watershed moment for the crypto industry. So Don, please give us a quick snapshot of the situation here. Yeah, sure. So the guilty plea is uh, part of a settlement with the range of uh, federal agencies. Uh, there's a lot here, but I won't bore you with uh, every single one. But in the settlement, uh, he agreed, uh, actually Binance, sorry, agreed uh, to pay more than $4 billion in fines. And as for Zhao himself, <clears throat> he said uh, he's going to step down as CEO and he's going to pay uh, around $200 million uh, in fines. He's going to potentially face up to 10 years in prison, but it's more likely that it's going to be uh, somewhere around 18 months as part of this plea deal. So just a quick uh, snapshot here. Now, this is a big deal, and the, the long arm of the law got him, because, I mean, even the secretary, the assistant attorney general, he, they were saying that these institutions, they serve as the gatekeepers. So they have to be held accountable because they do cater to such a large subset of the American consumer. So Don, what are the allegations against Zhao and Binance? Yeah, I mean, it's a long list here. Uh, I'll talk about some of the big ones. Um, Binance uh, pleaded guilty to engaging in anti-money uh, laundering violations, as well as uh, uh, unlicensed money transmitting and sanctions violations. So. Well, let me just explain what that means. So basically, authorities are, are saying Binance allowed bad actors to transact freely uh, on the platform. Uh, that's including like terrorists, cyber criminals, uh, child abusers on the platform. Uh, it, it, prosecutors uh, are alleging that uh, they didn't have enough anti-money uh, laundering protections uh, on the platform. Uh, I mean. It is the biggest uh, cryptocurrency exchange in the world, and and authorities are saying that these uh, criminal actions actually paved the way for them to becoming the top uh, dog in this space. Wow, so big player, of course, and so much many things coming to light. What does that mean for the overall cryptocurrency industry? Well, of course, it is definitely a blow to the industry. You know, we have this case and we have Sam Bankman's uh, Freed's case as well, uh, which uh, some have labeled as one of the biggest fraud cases in American history. So, of course, it doesn't bode well for the overall industry. It doesn't pay, paint a pretty picture at the moment. Um, uh, U.S. authorities are, are hoping that this uh, latest uh, event will send a, a clear message to bad actors or uh, in the crypto uh, industry. Yeah, profiting off of their illegal deeds, that's not good. Is the $4 billion fine any big deal to them? Uh, it potentially could be. I, I mean, uh, it, it won't uh, collapse the Binance crypto exchange platform, but it's, it's definitely something that they won't take lightly. That is a lot of money. And so what, what are Zhao and Binance now reacting? Well, 
for Zhao, you know, in light of, of, of all this, he said uh, he admitted that he, he has made mistakes, but, you know, he's going to take responsibility for it because he thinks it's going to be the best for the crypto community, for himself, for Binance as well. Um, and speaking of Binance, uh, they're saying that they m made misguided decisions along the way, and they're going to see this as sort of a new chapter after uh, pleading guilty to these uh, to these charges. And they hope that uh, after taking responsibility, that this chapter will be in the past for them. Mm. Wow! Yeah. yeah, big deal. But what else do you have? What else is going on in the tech world? Yeah, uh, sure. So. OpenAI has announced that Sam Altman's return as CEO only days after his ouster. The company also agreed to restructure the board of directors that dismissed him. Tuesday's rehire and board reshuffle appear to favor Altman and financial backer Microsoft, who are rolling out OpenAI's technology to business customers globally. Altman's return follows a threat from 95% of OpenAI's employees. They said they would leave and join Microsoft if the company's board didn't resign and reinstate Altman as CEO. Just a quick update there. 95%, that's a lot of support for Altman. They must really like the guy. I mean, yeah, it is, it is a lot. Yeah, so Don Ma, host of Entity Business, thank you. Thank you. And we're gonna go into a short break. Do you love turkey and love low prices? then you're in luck. The bird will be a little cheaper this year. And more about the cost of the feast from a store owner for you. I'm Chris Beers in New York City, and we are NTD News. Good to have you back. Let's talk about electric vehicles. They may cost a lot more than you think. A new report says hidden costs will impact not only EV owners, but also people who don't even drive. NTD's Emma Shu talks with the report's author. An electric vehicle's lifetime cost may be far higher than that of a traditional vehicle with an internal combustion engine. Hidden costs can make EVs more expensive than they seem, and all of society may have to pay part of those additional costs. A new report from the Texas Public Policy Foundation finds those hidden costs in many areas. Every time an EV charges, it imposes extra generation, transmission, and distribution costs on the power grid. As more EVs charge, more money will need to be spent upgrading the grid, likely raising costs for all energy users, even if they don't drive. Meanwhile, government policies have also made it more expensive for non-EV drivers. Taxes and subsidies burden drivers of gas-powered vehicles, and stringent fuel economy standards make them more expensive. Zero-emission mandates force automakers to sell a certain number of EVs, which can increase the cost of traditional cars. Americans themselves aren't buying as many EVs as the auto industry anticipated, and carmakers are losing money on them. We felt like it, would, it was important for us as we're embarking on this, the Biden administration's embarking on this huge plan to roll out EVs uh, to put some cost to what we're paying 
for this. Report co-author Brent Bennett says the additional cost to an EV owner could be more than $53,000 over the vehicle's lifetime. He says there should be more transparency about this and that current government policy is driving the industry off an economic cliff. The first thing that we should be doing is buying more hybrids because they use a battery that's 50 to 100 times smaller than an electric vehicle battery. So you can get a really small battery and you can uh, improve your fuel economy by 50% or so. Uh, and, you ha- and you don't need to rely on the electric infrastructure, but instead the whole system is geared towards all EVs or nothing. And that just doesn't make any sense at all. President Biden wants 50% of all new vehicle sales to be electric by 2030, and he's issued executive orders to achieve this target. Emma Shi, NTD News. Now let's talk Turkeynomics. Americans are in for some good news as they stock up for the Thanksgiving feast. Turkeynomics, that's a sparkling word. (laughs) And the American Farm Bureau Federation says the price tag on the food items needed for Thanksgiving feast this year is a little less expensive compared to 2022. Here to explain this is Avi Kaner, a co-owner of Morton Williams Supermarkets. I spoke with him earlier. Let's take a look. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, First of all, let me start by saying that the value of the Thanksgiving meal is absolutely priceless. So you cannot put a dollar value on it. Um, And and that's what we love about America. We live in the most bountiful, blessed country in the world. God bless America. Um, Regarding the cost, um, good news is costs are actually a little lower this year than they were last year. For example, the biggest staple of the turkey uh, dinner, the beautiful feast, is the turkey Thanksgiving feast, is the actual turkey itself, um, which has fallen. The cost, the price has fallen more than 40 cents a pound from a year ago. So the average turkey is, say, 12 to 14 pounds. So that's at least $5 less per turkey. Um, in terms of the other staples uh, that go with, with the turkey, uh, you've got the yams, cranberry, mushrooms, stuffing, cranberry sauce, pumpkin, um, pies. Everything is state stable. So in terms of the cost of the meal itself, the cost of the meal itself will be slightly lower than it was a year ago. And why have those turkeys now become cheaper? That, that, that's a great question. Um, we've had two years during the pandemic of steep increases. And unfortunately, uh, when prices go up, they very rarely come down. Uh, So it's a supply and demand issue. Uh, You've got frozen turkeys versus fresh turkeys. Uh, Frozen turkeys, uh, there's an abundant supply. Uh, These are prepared many months in advance of the holiday. Um, When it comes to fresh turkey, those prices are generally for all natural organic turkeys or a little higher simply because of supply and demand. Uh, But 75% of the purchases are for frozen turkeys, uh, which are lower than a year ago. Yeah, and according to the American Farm Bureau, if you're feeding a family of 10 with your Thanksgiving Day meal, you're probably going to save about 3 bucks down from $64 to about 61 So that's a little bit of good news there. But are there any stores now purchasing a little bit less turkeys so that they don't have as many left on the shelves afterwards? Um, that, that's a great question. I mean, every, every store, every community uh, has its own story. Our stores are in, in New York City. Uh, during the conde- pandemic, people uh, fled New York, and, uh, and now they're back. And now they're having Thanksgiving meals 
um, in, in the city. So our sales of turkeys have, have gone up. But also, more people are now traveling. They're visiting family around the United States. And uh, depending on the communities that they go to, uh, you know, sales would probably be up in those communities. Really nice update from you, Avi Kainer, co-owner of Morton Williams Supermarkets. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Thanksgiving. Definitely good to know ahead of Thanksgiving. So we're heading to a quick break now. Stay with us. It will be just one minute. There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. Good morning. Here are top stories. Israel approves a deal involving a temporary pause in fighting for the release of 50 or more hostages. We have more on what the agreement entails. The new hostage release deal has brought hope to many families. We have the story of a man with multiple family members believed to be held by Hamas. OpenAI brings back its old CEO just days after firing him from his position. Find out more as we unravel the leadership shuffle. Feeling stressed this holiday season? We speak to a psychologist to get you tips on how to handle the mental burden. If you're in need for some last-minute groceries or items, you could be in luck with some stores set to remain open on Thanksgiving Day. And a nine-year-old singer shares his catchy song, Kindness is Cool. The little man doesn't seem intimidated by large crowds, and he's even become a kindness ambassador. This is NTD Good Morning. Live from our global headquarters, here are Evelyn Lee and Kevin Hogan. Welcome to NTD. Welcome. Today is Wednesday, November 22nd. And we're starting with a big update on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's government early this morning approved a deal with the Hamas terrorist group. It would have 50 of the roughly 240 hostages held by Hamas released back to Israel into their families' arms. The first hostages are expected to be released as soon as tomorrow, according to the Israeli government. President Biden issued a statement saying that, quote, today's deal should bring home additional American hostages, and I will not stop until they are all released. The deal laid out by Qatar would bring a four-day pause to the fighting in the Gaza Strip. It's believed the 50 hostages to be released will be women and children. Three Americans are expected to be among them, including three-year-old Abigail Eden, whose parents were killed in the October 7th terrorist attack. 
Hamas has agreed to release the hostages over the four-day pause. Israel stated it would extend its break in fighting by an extra day for every 10 additional hostages released after that. Israel will need to release 150 jailed Palestinians and allow fuel and more aid into Gaza under the deal. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says the war to destroy Hamas will continue when the pause ends. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the hostages' release and what comes next. Nearly seven weeks after being kidnapped from Israel, groups of hostages being held by Hamas terrorists could be going home. Israel says more than half hold foreign and dual citizenship from some 40 countries. They are expected to come in groups of a dozen or more people over the four-day pause. The deal mediated by Qatar, Egypt and the U.S. follows weeks of on and off negotiations. Qatar stated Wednesday the pause would be subject to extension and that the start of it would be announced within 24 hours. The deal requires Israel to allow hundreds of trucks of humanitarian, medical and fuel aid to enter Gaza. Israel will also need to free 150 jailed Palestinians and put out a list of prisoners from which they will be selected. The 300 security prisoners on the list are nearly all males under 18, arrested in the West Bank during counter-terror operations. None have been convicted of murder. 13 are women, with the rest to remain as potential exchanges for more Israeli hostages. Israeli citizens have a 24-hour window to ask the Supreme Court to block the Palestinian prisoners' release before the deal can be implemented. Israel's military says Hamas is holding roughly 240 hostages captive, including foreign nationals from 26 countries. The kidnappings took place on October 7th, when terrorists killed around 1,200 people. To date, only four captives have been released. Family members of those taken say more will bring hope. It helps give those of us who won't see their loved ones back the, you know, the, the ability to keep going for, for as long as we need to until we see them all back. That this deal will follow through and that these hostages, these children will be back home with their families in the next couple days. We keep our hope for 46 days. We won't give up now. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu assured his war cabinet that Israel's mission to destroy Hamas and return all the hostages remains the same. The Hamas terror organization stated on the striking of the agreement that its fingers are on the trigger. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Israel's military says it will continue fighting Hamas until the Israeli government tells them to pause. IDF spokesperson Jonathan Conriquez says the army will respect the deal to return hostages, but weighed in with some words of caution. Watch. We will be very vigilant on the ground because we have uh, bad experiences with Hamas from 2014 when they violated and uh, internationally brokered ceasefire. So we know that we will have to be vigilant on the ground as we see this unfold. Hopefully, we will see the safe return of Israeli hostages from 46 days of captivity at the hands of Hamas. Earlier, I spoke with Rabbi Abraham Cooper. He's the associate dean at the Simon Wiesenthal Center and the chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Let's hear what he had to say about the temporary truce surrounding the hostage situation in Israel right now. They're going to try to regroup in uh, the southern part of uh, the Gaza Strip. Uh, they for sure will have some, or try to have some military surprises, probably more missile launches uh, when the time, uh, the four days are up. Plus, they are getting the release of uh, some uh, prisoners from Israeli jails. It's a huge PR victory for them. 
Uh, and, um, you know, they've been on the run. It gives them uh, 48, uh, four days in order to uh, strengthen their defenses. Remember, they still have a good part of their underground city that runs hundreds of miles of tunnels intact in uh, in southern Gaza. And I think that's one of the reasons why you heard Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu say that when this is up, the uh, original commitment to deal with them militarily and get rid of Hamas is still in the cards. We'll have to see if that's actually going to be the, uh, the reality. The hostage release deal between Israel and Hamas has brought hope to many, especially one grandfather who's waiting for the return of seven family members. Here's his story. Gilad Korngold has seven family members who are believed to be hostages. They include his son, his grandchildren ages three and eight, and a niece who is 12. Nobody can imagine how we feel, okay? Imagine that you, you kid Instead, sleep in the bed with blanket and it. It's underground, deep. It's deep tunnels. Uh, three years old. Uh, my girl, uh, my girl, uh, granddaughter. She's loved to jump all the time, trampoline and 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 in the couch, and she's very happy. The situation has deeply affected him, and he's having difficulty coping with it. Uh, sleep. I need to take uh, sleeping pills, strong one. So at least four or five hours of sleep. If not, I can handle it. The fate of his family is currently unknown. He doesn't even know if they are alive. We need to know if they're alive, if they're okay. It's the minimum. The minimum, this is a war crime. They're civilians. Uh, we, we, we ask, release, release the children and the women at once, okay? It's impossible to bargain with children. Okay, no food, no gasoline, no solar, nothing. Okay, children and women must be released immediately. The new hostage release deal between Israel and Hamas brings Mr. Korngold both hope and concern. Is his entire family safe and will they all be released? Those questions remain unanswered, so all he can do is wait and hope for the best possible outcome. The United States has retaliated against an Iranian-backed terrorist group in Iraq. U.S. officials say two sites were struck this morning local time. It's the first retaliation after dozens of attacks against U.S. troops in the area. The U.S. was previously reluctant to return any fire due to the sensitive political situation in Iraq. Around five dozen attacks against U.S. troops have been counted by the Pentagon so far since mid-October. The Iraq attacks were carried out by Iraq's Qatayyip Hezbollah terrorist group, which is heavily armed and has close ties with Iran. An unnamed U.S. defense official told Reuters the fighter jet strikes destroyed an operations center and a command and control node. The official said there were Hezbollah terrorists at the sites south of Baghdad, no exact figures on casualties are yet available. And coming up, we mark 60 years since JFK's assassination, a solemn day before the holidays to honor the memory of the 35th president. The holidays can be a stressful time of the year for many. We have more on Thanksgiving Day. And a nine-year-old singer shares his catchy song, Kindness is Cool. The little man doesn't seem intimidated by large crowds, and he's even become a kindness ambassador.
Good to have you back. Today marks 60 years since President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. On November 22, 1963, President Kennedy was in a convertible limousine heading to a sold-out luncheon in Dallas. When shots were fired from a sixth-floor window, Kennedy was shot twice. The FBI later found Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone in the shooting. In June of this year, the National Archives concluded its review of the classified documents related to the assassination. And the records are now available to the public. More changes underway this morning in the business of artificial intelligence. Sam Altman is now set to return to OpenAI as its CEO. This comes just days after his surprised ouster as the chief executive officer. And after Microsoft hired Altman to lead a new AI group. Hundreds of OpenAI employees reportedly threatened to leave if the company's board didn't resign and reinstate Altman as CEO. Altman said in a post on the social media platform X that he has Microsoft's support for his return to OpenAI. A storm system pushing across the eastern U.S. could disrupt Thanksgiving travel for millions of Americans. Yeah, I felt that wind this morning and heavy rains could pummel parts of southern Alabama all the way up to New York. Areas further north could see snow. Here's more on how the severe weather could impact your travel plans. Millions of Americans are under the threat of severe weather, just as travelers set off to celebrate Thanksgiving. Strong thunderstorms, heavy downpours, damaging winds, and even snow could spoil your Thanksgiving travel plans. We're expecting one to two inches of rain. It's part of a powerful system that's moving east, impacting at least two dozen states, and could disrupt air travel in large hubs like New York, Atlanta, Boston, and Washington, D.C. The FAA's command center, as usual, is working closely with airlines to plan for and plan around any disruptive weather. AAA estimates more than 55 million Americans will travel this week. It's expected to be one of the busiest Thanksgiving travel periods in years. Passengers bracing for the chaos. I didn't know what to expect because travel here is always so crazy. The Transportation Security Administration warning passengers to arrive early. I have exactly two hours to go to the checkpoint, get some breakfast, Go on dying. Others simply packing a positive attitude. Take it easy, like be calm, like things happen, don't stress about it. The good news? By Thanksgiving Day, much of the central and eastern U.S. will see dry conditions. And that's something to be thankful for. The holiday season is here, which means spending time with your family. But for some, it's about hunting for deals on Black Friday. Or Cyber Monday, right. So the national retailers will be keeping their doors closed tomorrow. But some stores will remain open or have adjusted hours. Most pharmacy locations, such as CVS and Walgreens, will be closed, except for 24-hour locations. If you're in need of some last-minute groceries, most major grocery stores such as Ralph's, Safeway, and Whole Foods will remain open with adjusted hours. Major retailers such as Walmart, Target, and Costco will be keeping their doors closed on Thanksgiving. Good to know. And what side dishes do you plan to serve with your turkey this Thanksgiving? I just really like stuffing, personally. Yeah, that's one of those ones that it takes a long time to make it fresh, but it's oh. worth it. Oh. Yeah, well, fresh, you have to leave the bread out and let it harden up. 
kind of get stale actually to make it work. Yeah, I can tell you've done this a couple of, you're a good cook, I, I can hear that. <laughs> uh, my my uh, family on the other side, they've made homemade stuffing, it's really mm. good. But are, are yours pretty basic or do you like to switch up the menu some years? From cranberry relish to sweet potatoes to green bean casserole, there are so many options. And now Google has come out with a list of the most searched side dishes for each state. The data was compiled between October 6th and November 6th. Many states seem to love casseroles. The most searched one overall was green bean casserole. Oh, my mom makes a really good green bean casserole. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> and then, however, some states like Hawaii, Kansas, and Wyoming search for more unique side dishes like bruschetta, cucumber salad, and creamy polenta. Oh, huh. that sounds good too. I love myself a good, good bruschetta. Ah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, and Thanksgiving's pretty cool. It actually reminds me of how the Koreans at each meal, they put out a lot of side dishes mm. called the banchans. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that's interesting for me to learn because to be honest, you will, you notice I have not that much to say, but I don't really celebrated Thanksgiving in my life in Germany in a Chinese family. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got the dessert, you got the apple and the pumpkin pie, mm. and then you got all the side Ooh, dishes. pumpkin pie. The bird, the centerpiece right there. Of course. Yeah. That one has to be there. <laughs> and I've made homemade gravy. I recommend it. Just make the roux with a little butter and, and flour. You brown it up. I'm so hungry now. We got to stop this. All right. We're going to end the show here so I can go grab some food and we will. Oh, actually, before we end the show, we have some a fun story here for you. Nine-year-old singer, there's a nine-year-old singer who just launched his song Kindness is Cool, which he loves performing. Originally written for a Kindness is Cool movement. Let's take a listen, but watch out. It's kind of catchy. He goes by Big Lotus 415, and after sending his Kindness is Cool song to video platform Ganjing World, he was asked to become a Kindness Creator Ambassador. Inspiration of the song is that being kind and being nice and being nice to other people and being good and that's the stuff. The young singer also performed at an indigenous artist event in San Francisco over the weekend with other artists from native backgrounds. I liked it because there was a big crowd and it was fun and I liked to do it because I liked the sound system was really good too and I liked how the people were cheering me on it and it was really cool. This brings back memories when my sons used to perform. Uh, both of them have been in the music business since they were kids, so it's, uh, it's nice that it uh, runs in a family. People say the lyrics are catchy and meaningful. I think it was such a good message, especially coming from like a young person to really engage in such a beautiful way for us, especially as adults, to remember what it means to be kind to each other and making it cool and, and really thinking about listening to our youth is really important. Yeah, I was really impressed. I think the confidence on the mic is what I loved about it. Yeah. I love one of the songs he said from SF to the Philippines, and I love just like that global solidarity aspect of the song. Big Lotus says his goal was to make the music good and understandable with a positive message. He released an album in September and plans to do more. In San Francisco, California, David Lamb, NTD News. One day yourself figure out what this world
he's only nine, and he, this is this was worth it, might I just say, to listen to this. This is quite catchy, yeah. And he's just nine year old, nine yeah. years old, and he has a very developed, like he has a very unique sense of style. He has found his style, it seems, you know. Yeah, and speaking of style, well, mm -hmm. kindness is cool, and so is Big Lotus with those shades like that. <laughs> you got to do it to the camera. Let's <laughs> get it. All right, um, that was great, and um, so now we will end the show, so I can get something to eat. <laughs> Um, we'll keep you updated, of course, with the latest information. Stay tuned for our news broadcast today at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan. There are real consequences to controlled media. And NTD's founders know them firsthand. Our freedom of thought is the price. This is the lesson that guides us in everything we do. So there's the tear gas there. We know the value of a free society. And we take seriously the responsibility to preserve it. We are NTD.